This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl like you can feel that there's space around us that's where good. people that's, that's good we're gonna we're gonna name the space yeah, yeah. as long as the voices are, are come to the front that we don't blend in too much with all the other sounds is that happening now yeah i think so yeah are we at the same page robert yeah, yeah. but we ha- really have to because it's now at seven or six i think yeah it's at seven now if you put it up a little bit oh no 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 Left, 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 right, right, right. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Left, left, right, right. We're all flashing with these little colors, and we're, and we're here, and we're going to start. And this is our body talk. Let's go to the middle of the stage. Everyone's standing in a circle around me. Uh, we're standing in a, another roof it's raining so we're standing under the roof of the auto scooter uh, place which is an uh, art project by Kunstrepublik one of the um, groups that helped to start the model project House der Statistique uh, we're in the shadow of House der Statistique as you can hear and also of all the construction sites uh, at House der Statistique you can hear some sounds in the background and um, the sounds actually are so loud that you don't hear the Karl Max Allee, which runs behind uh, the building on one side. And behind the Karl Max Allee, there is this large-scale Alexanderplatz. And this area here, if we turn the other way, I'm turning now the other way, (laughs) over there is a quite intimate residential area with DDR housing blocks from the from the 70s and there's a very kind of intimate uh, domestic feel about it whereas here we're in the middle of this construction. Uh, Eric and I, we felt drawn to this Model Project House, their statistic project because of the cooperative way in which it's coming about. For example, in this moment, they are in this consolidation phase of the project and there are all these pioneer usage going on of the ground floors and um, One of the persons working on the project or involved in the project, Nina Peters, she says about it, pioneer usage makes room for voices that otherwise are not heard in urban development projects, like a construction site on a construction site. Um, And so for her also a piece of the city is being uh, produced here together. And we thought that this gesture of reclaiming an area from the capital sphere that is so close (laughs) with uh, uh, also everything that's happening on Alexanderplatz, reclaiming it and trying to reappropriate it for the common good to make room for arts, education, but also social affairs, that that's a really nice uh, thing and that that's why we wanted to hold this body talk today in kind of in the shadow of that, of that project. It's literally a shadow here because we have this roof with pink and green <laughs> sail, pink and green vinyl, and so the color is kind of strange, it's changing. We're kind of in an outdoor club, 
that's how it feels. And this is really fitting for um, this chapter of our search for the pluriverse, which we entitled Fluid Selves, Fluid Berlin. Uh, we came to Berlin with certain questions, certain assumptions probably also, about, for example, the fact that um, like we feel that even though Berlin has a past that is linear or binary with the wall that was separating the East and the West, it's also a space which... It's a place, it's a city which has incredible room and pockets for a um, kind of spur search for identities and, and for spectral identities. So this is something we're very interested in. How is that possible and where does that get hampered, let's say? So how fluid is Berlin really, basically? That's a, that's a question that we have. And uh, last night we were at uh, Werkstätte Berlin who just issued a super interesting little glossary called the Urban Praxis Glossary. And uh, we will be putting that glossary to good use. We'll bring it in as a joker at some point in this body talk, um, if things somehow stand still. But we're hoping for a, a fluid body talk. And now Eric will say something about the format. Yes, um, and before I do that, I'm looking at you, Robert, because you will function as our microphone, sort of a talking stick. And um, how did you get involved? Because all of a sudden you were here. We were looking around for via via for a sound person to help us out with this talk. So how did that question reach you that we needed you and you ended up here? Well, actually, um, yeah, via via is here the right uh, phrase to use actually. I uh, started as a puppet player here in Berlin and uh, yeah I have uh, friends working in puppetry and uh, while I am working in a totally different field now um, yeah he was asked he dropped out and here I am and really happy to uh, be in the middle of this super interesting thing here. Well, we're happy that you're in the middle and you're sort of a rock. Because uh, how we're going to organize this body talk is like this. Robert is going to be in the middle. The microphone is here. Because of the, the surrounding noises, we put the levels down. So you really need to talk and you can hear it. You really need to talk close to the microphone. And whoever feels like talking or posing a question goes up to Robert, the talking stick. <laughs> and uses the opportunity and the microphone to speak. It's a pretty amazing sight because we're all wearing these disco, silent disco headphones which has these party lights on them and we're in this strange sort of almost like blue hour time of the day. It's raining outside. We didn't mention the weather yet but this is like the worst weather ever because it's rain that almost turns into snow. And it's super cold, so I know we're all going to end, uh, wake up tomorrow with running noses and stiff necks. But at least we have a roof above our heads. Um, and we as participants, and I want to ask you, all participants of this talk, um, to start walking. Walking clockwise in a circle, around me and Robert in this case. The form of this talks, like walking clockwise as a group in a circle, comes from a Norwegian choreographer, Mia Habib. 
And she wrote a couple of years ago an open script, which is called All, a Physical Poem of Protest. And you can use this script in any place, in any circumstance, if you want as a group to um, address urgent matters. It's a way to formate, eh, to quote Beyonce, formation. You, we all know the, the fantastic song and the video that um, accompanied it. Uh, formation, a group of individual bodies forms a bigger group. And now this circle is walking and is forming a structure, a moving structure. And I was part of one of these moving circles some years ago. And um, that was in 2017 in Treptow Park. It was in the news that homosexuals were being kept in prison camps in Chechnya. And we as a group of queer people really felt that we should do something to, to, to protest against the fact that this was happening. And um, this is what happened. Four protesters, 40 protesters, like 40, 50, assembled and started walking clockwise in a circle. And you could choose either to walk slowly in the inner part of the circle and wider out, you would uh, have a higher pace. You, you, you could also run. If you really wanted to put energy to the group, like I want to burn energy for this thing, you would start running on the outside of the circle. We would walk and run like this for 30 minutes without speaking. Some people took their clothes off as a way to put the body even more manifest. Some people uh, kept their clothes on. And it was a very powerful manifestation of a group of bodies. So we felt inspired by this. And that's why we start this body talk out like this. But if we halfway find that it's too tiring, we just, you know, we're going to leave the concept because that's how the body talk works. We're going to do this in three rounds. And... Um, Sophie and I will ignite these rounds with a start and then the group takes over. Round one. Everyone's skipping, <laughs> walking around. Round one is inhabiting a neighborhood. What, what is it? What does it mean to inhabit a neighborhood? Inhabiting has the word habit in it. So it's about... Um, developing habits, it's about developing patterns, it's also about maybe wearing the city somehow. This, a city like Berlin that has many different pockets. And our first question for this round would go to Cornelia, Cornelia Dimitrova, who is an architectural researcher and who is um, working on how you can design healing environments for mental but also for bodily health care. And uh, in this, Cornelia, you're really looking at how you can somehow repair fragmentation. But also you said one thing, which was that the healing time of a body and of the mind is often not taken into account when we think of the um, transformation time of a neighborhood. I think uh, we're all experts in different time frames. The time it takes to drink a glass of water, or to meet, or to become aware of what you feel in your toes. The time it takes to grow up, and then grow up again. Um, 
in that sense, if you think of places as the extension of who we are, as the context in which we become who we are, it just seems logical it should be adapted to our time frames. We make places for people. So, let them work like people. And um, could you say something more, Cornelia, about your own experience in this, in the um, mental health care uh, estate area that you've been working with over the past years? You developed a, a playbook for them, a playbook for healing environments, it's called. And it's really meant for the, the persons running the place, but it also really also gives a voice to the clients or patients or uh, 13,000 persons being taken care of or who are there also, who are also inhabiting the place. How have you applied that insight, that insight there in this project? So it's, um, it's a place shared by 13,000 people, then 2,000 staff, and then I really don't know how many birds, squirrels and uh, trees and blades of grass and they all have a time frame right you think of this landscape but then it takes a certain amount of time to change the meaning of a certain corner it takes a certain amount of time to grow a tree to grow a forest so if you're going to make a healing environment it makes sense that you structure your actions in time frames that accommodate that an experiment can last five minutes. The lessons of it could take 20 years to implement. And so thinking in those time frames is really about enabling that and encouraging actually the decision makers to think outside of their own time frame, which is a mandate, a job, a career, funding, and so on. Yeah, but Cornelia, our... Um capitalist system also in the in a design world doesn't work like that so most of the times an architectural firm is being called and they're going to make a master plan in like a very limited amount of time because people are expensive and hours are expensive they're billable expensive hours so um, that glass of water needs to be drinking up in five minutes and not in like two years so how can we change that concept of working in these different time frames and modes and that one lead thing can lead to another over time without staying in this sort of billable commercial frame we know handing it over it is not the job of the architect to live the life of the person whose house they're designing they just set the first step of a house for a life that potentially that person wants to have. And I think the role of a master plan is essential because it activates administrative potential that is otherwise unreachable. But it is in itself a very important document to inspire action today, now, five minutes after the master plan was created. It's nice for our listeners to see that the <laughs> that the concept of walking in a circle is being totally ignored and people are 
dancing and swirling and doing other things, which is great. And I want to ask uh, Tomas to the, to the microphone, because when uh, Cornelia says that a place can be seen as a person, um, you said before that violence is a place, violence is a landscape. And it's a landscape that we all inhabit and that we could conquer if you're not alone, if you team up in a group. You have been working, you have, and you have a lot of experience with that, teaming up in a group. You work with a group of trans women in Bogota for years now. And as a group, you started this, I would say, a healing process, not only for them, but I think for society as a whole. Can you say something about that method of how to conquer violence or how to heal from the effects of violence together as a group of bodies, personality? Well, uh, yeah, the word conquer is a little bit uh, strange for me, conquer violence, but um, Let's talk about the symbol they decide to have as a group, and it was the flamingo. The flamingo is um, recognized as a social uh, as a social being because the flamingo knows how to live together. Because otherwise, the flamingo is too weak, uh, no, too weak, not too 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 fragile to survive. So. Being together in a group is is the way they survive. So the the community trans use this symbol as a way to 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 define themselves, and is related also with the body because we go to the streets in order to defend the life which means the care of the body. Uh, and one body can be strong, but more bodies together are being strong. So uh, we take the streets together, you know? And in the way we, t we take the streets together, we also take the decision to repair ourselves is not more the duty of the government or the establishment or etc is now we take this duty in our hands and uh, the way we do it is through through art through artist practices which whatever it, it means <laughs> from writing to whatever um, in order to repair ourselves to and and you can repair once you were you already listen and once you have the time to reflect in what you listen and then you have the time also to talk and be listened so that is what we use in the practices and that is also this bodily well we saw a wonderful movie made by you this morning in which um a group of trans women are in public space and they're dropping a pot and the pot you know breaks in pieces on the ground and the pieces are taken into 
the building or a museum or a space, a communal space, and you start to repair the broken pots yourself. And my first reaction was, they shouldn't do this themselves. Society should do that. But I now also see the strength of saying, no, you know, we take, the, we take it in our own hands because the government is not doing it. So we need to repair ourselves and we do it together and we help each other with that. But that doesn't mean that society, you know, leaves a big, big, big responsibility unused. Because I think society should repair these broken pots. Yes, uh, but we need to show society that they are breaking pots and uh, that they can function as a glue of those of those pots no i think society need to be awake of that um, but this is also related with empathy <laughs> and how we we are aware of the other and how we feel the pain of the other no um we cannot know also yeah we cannot deal with the other if we don't know if the other is in pain and and that is the the exercises we need in the society no uh, i think we are all breaking pots so in this in this in this and that is also interesting because how you can thinking about reparation healing and those big words being broken so you need first to to look at yourself and realize uh this brokenness and this cares and so on and and try to 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 transform that in something if you like but um if you have this in your inside so you can you're gonna reflect that also I, I give an example. Uh, in Colombia, we ask like why they are we are so violent, why uh, there is so feel anger, you no? Know? And if you start to to look in the roots, is because I I have been violated. Maybe my mother was violated. Maybe my grandmother was you no. Know? So this is something that goes and goes and that you not think about it so you have this this anger or or this this feeling carrying you in internalized it is that what you mean yes also you 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 already have with it like in your genetics so you react violent so it is it is in 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 this way that that we also need to reflect in ourselves and then go back to the society, I will say. A moment that touched me in the video that uh, Eric just mentioned was the glitters that were added to the glue. So not only did the glue enable to mend the broken parts, but uh, there was also, the, and I don't remember exactly what was being said about it, but it's something like, let's then make this glue look good too, you know? So, that, so there was a, a kind of joyful moment there, which I thought was also really beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was like the the way of understand how we can uh, see at the scar, at the wound. You know, like not hiding it, not trying to to erase them. So to 
to make like a kind of tribute to decorate them in a way to celebrate them in a way because uh, it's make us stronger uh, and that is what is important to show even when some somebody dies we see the the to die at something sad and at something uh, at something that is come to the end but it's not like this it can be also a possibility to start something different you know so it's how we look at those things how we look at the scars how we look at the pain how we look at the shame how we look no it's is it's is this this um, important twist that we need to do thank you and um, i would like in the next uh small introduction right to to ask a question to Sabine Zahn who is also with us walking circles here and uh, she's a, a body researcher body practitioner and with her yesterday we did a vertical field trip sensing collectively as a body of bodies as you say uh, this Fisher Insel uh, area and also uh, when we were discussing what happened for all of us in that encounter One thing that I remember, Sabine, is the. Somebody said something like, mm, I'm getting distracted, sorry. Yeah, no. Um, so, oh, yes, well, it's interesting because it's about amnesia and forgetting and memory, so now it's interesting I have a blackout. Um, something was said about what the Fisher Insel remembers and what the Fisher Insel doesn't remember and how when we practice now as as body of bodies in this area, does that mean that we also let things emerge because sites don't kind of forget? This also came up in relationship to the mental health institution site that Cornelia has been working on. Thomas now spoke to us about the violence that is a kind of landscape and a continuum and how do you go around that so my question or let's say what I would like you to respond to Sabine is how you work with body of bodies and how you've um, it let that also evolve uh, over time and how maybe working with bodies of bodies enables you to also sense a place in a, in a different way or how does that maybe augment your own sense of a place um i think i have to untangle some things because i don't work with body of bodies or we didn't work yesterday with body of bodies um and i think it's good to touch this point because um uh i try to or i clearly work through uh exploring activities and exploring thus making practices or evolving practices um, and a part of that practice that evolves or of the practices that evolves are terms and they're linking back to uh, things that are entangled between experience between circumstances between activities uh, so for example the body of bodies is a very clear term that emerged out of a practice that we explored last year so for me, that is a very specific term connected to a specific practice that we didn't practice. 
<laughs> so I wanted to clear that up a long time since yesterday, since you mentioned the word very often, I was always thinking, oh, I need to make, I need to clear it up because it's not a term, it's not like a term that I attribute very generally. Um, uh, it's very specific and, and um, anyway, so that, that is attributed. So, uh, and the other thing that I've, I just wanted to um, think about is because the question is very dense that you post, so there's a lot of things, uh, is that I don't, I would see sight as something that emerges in the moment of the activity. So it's difficult to speak of a sight that is um, somehow uh, disconnected from the activity and that thus memory, a sight holding memory, that's how I understood it. Maybe I understood it wrong, huh? but but it just to maybe pick it up in order to see uh, what the perspective is. Thus, sight for me is nothing that uh, can exist without, let's say, the practice or the activity. And it can be any practice and any activity that shapes for me. Or maybe I don't actually use sight that much. I use place and space. So in the end, what emerges out of this meeting of activity and place is maybe for me the space. And yes, there is um, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a memory or maybe it is memories. Um, uh, and But maybe it's something that is actually um, Wirken that um, acts in in the present all the time. So maybe it's not something that you know that is something that happened before, and that is then being hold. But maybe it is something that is still on different levels active, consciously, unconsciously. I don't want to go into that too much. But that's something that's that is still emitting mm, emitting energy in the sense that you know it still it still shapes continues to shape um how in your term sight emerges um and i th yeah and and what happened yesterday for me again uh, and which i'm very grateful of is that um and that looking back on the pandemic where you know where we te i mean i didn't do it a lot but where a lot is mediated either through digital media or through a very complicated way of being with one another because we have to keep distance and we have to take all these measurements and a lot of energy goes into that. And I think what it does in terms of memory, in the sense of an active memory of something that's active in the present, it actually, in my experience, and I realized that yesterday, it prevents an active memory. So I have a lot of blind spots about the last year and a half, both in terms of sites, spaces, people, situations. So the whole thing that forms a situation that forms the site is somehow very, it's not active for me in that very present. The things that emerge being active also preparing for you were things that are actually beyond the last year and a half. So there is, um, yeah, there's also somehow not only uh, active memory, but also erased or never really taken place memory. <laughs> But if we go back, Sabine, to the uh, metaphor of um, inhabiting the city or wearing the city, wearing it as an individual, but also wearing it as a collective garment sometimes. Because I think we yesterday, we all felt quite empowered by the fact that we could investigate on our own. But feeling the, the presence of the others with us, that we were like a kind of a flock of birds or 
a herd of some type, um, which made us all individually feel very free to explore what we needed to explore. So, and this tension between the individual and the group, and when do you form a group or make a formation to make something happened, happen, like yesterday in the, in the um, conference about uh, building praxis. Um, can you say something about how that works for you as a, a, a professional and um, something that uh, you want to instigate change? You, you are part of making change. So just that I understand the question right, the making change in the light of what could be a group, a herd, a, a conglomeration that kind of settles in with one another. Well, maybe we should bring in the term autonomy as was being um, spoken about yesterday, that you need to form coalitions to break this heteronomic tension of the, the mainstream or the bigger power that suppresses all, um, a, you know, all smaller autonomies that also want a place in this world, a world within worlds. Yeah, um, yeah it's... Um, it, I think it's interesting to think that... Uh, oh, you want to add something? No. <laughs> um, it's interesting to think that I started, as I said, what I did as a solo practice. And um, this came out of the... F I mean, it came out of different reasons. One was that I, I, needed to, I needed to engage with a practice and that without any funding, without any any support as you say from maybe the bigger circle um, and I needed to practice and I wanted to be I wanted to find a, a le like to be with the spaces that I was interested in I was also extremely finished with the studio work <laughs> um, but it started alone in that sense um, and it gradually I gradually made it grow but really gradually so I took on one colleague that is still a very, very, very central and dear colleague, but very early on in a weather like this or even worse than that. And I said, like, look, you know, let's try something. Are you up for it? <laughs> um, and we tried and in a, you know, something formed there. I understood, okay, this work, I understood a little bit more of that work being in the sense valid, not as an artwork, but as something that needs to be done. Um, and I found different ways of, of sharing, of exchanging and of making, of understanding the value that I feel it has. But there is, there is something else in terms of urban practice maybe that relates then to a wider environment or needs, you know, it's placed and it's not placed as a practice for the arts, in the arts. That's also not, that's not my interest and it's not my urge. So somehow through that connection also something grows that's both... I think autonomous, but not sealed. I hope, um, but that process is really for me an ongoing one, and it, I think it it needs to gain. Uh, and then I think that you know, in like inhabiting the city as a, as a garment that goes through different layers. And these to increase these layers is, I think, something that urban practice and me, but also other urban practitioners in their own practice can do, and that's different from a solely artistic practice. 
So we can wear different garments at the same time and take them off and put others on again. That's what she basically saying. I like to bring Cornelia back in because um, you have tasted like the ambivalence of what we what is considered normal and not normal. I mean, when do we decide that people need to be locked up or being in a mental hospital and how do we deal with that difference from the normal? And um, in, this, in, the, in, the, in the light of autonomy, the mainstream and the niche or the, the abnormal and the normal, um, did you gain any insights in how um, thinking about the normal and the abnormal, to say it quite linear and <laughs> binary, uh, is changing or shifting? I can uh, only speak about this from my personal experience and there was only one setup under which I had the authority to put someone in that context and that's as, a, as an image producer as I make collages I have to select certain people from stock libraries and in my mind I'm kind of casting the, the characters I see or I would like to see in the context of a mental hospital Nothing to say about the people, that who they are in, in, in real life, but I wanted them to represent something uh, of how I saw the mental health institution today in two years, in ten years. So I think in the production of images, speaking from that experience, I think anyone potentially could belong in a mental health institution in the most dignifying way, which that entails, of course, which is, uh, well, admitting that you're somehow not normal and uh, trying to find a way to make that help you in your life and not block you from building relationships with people and places and yourself. Well, this anyone can belong is a is a very nice one Cornelia and I think it's a it's a very nice one to also shift to the second part uh, of this body talk where basically we would like to bring in one word from this lovely urban praxis glossary book that we that was released last night and it's the word uh, Freiraum unencumbered space free of pressure of exploitation um, so I would actually just like to propose a Freiraum for the remaining 20 minutes of this body talk with anyone coming to the mic if they feel like it or nobody coming to the mic <laughs> or Robert uh, sharing anything he feels <laughs> about what he's heard so far or just us listening to the building site. But um, we know, Eric and I know that also there are a lot of overlaps between the practices of our, of our three uh, guests to this chapter of In Search of the Pluriverse. Um, so we're very curious if you have a question to someone else in this group, then this is the chance to maybe ask it in a lovely, concentrated uh, way. And I'm leaving the mic alone. I'm now leaving the rock <laughs> all alone in the circle. <laughs> all right, Cornelia speaking. I have a question for Sabine. Uh, if you could please come and give an answer. Uh, how do you hand over a score 
in a meaningful way so that they can own it but it still has the thing the spark you put into it yeah thanks um how do i hand over a score i can't answer it on a general level because it's always attributed if i actually hand it over it's it's within a situation like yesterday right so uh, there's a group of people that i might know that i might not know there's a place i choose there's a time of the day there is a you know some kind of framework under which it works it's uh, like now the pluriverse framework uh, attributed to a program to an institution or it's something else so at least what i want to say there's there's always circumstances that i try to grasp as much as i can for me that's really a survival strategy i would say um and then i i i invite people into a score more um through practicing so i usually don't pass a score on without uh, without actually engaging with it so maybe that's the main thing to the question um, I find a way to engage both with the score and the people and the circumstances well I like to use the Freiraum also to um, bring back a discussion we had earlier or a talk an interesting talk we had earlier about the phenomenon of cruising and cruising areas which is in fact a, a very good example of a Freiraum because cruising areas it's the, the areas mostly in parks or, you know, fringes of cities where mostly gay men meet for sex, for anonymous sex. And they exist because we all know they exist, but we don't mention them. And therefore, a lot of things can happen. And men from many different social backgrounds go to these places and meet even without speaking and having contact with each other and um, I want to ask Thomas um, you made works at cruising places so you, you made like beautiful but quite manifest um, interventions in these cruising places um, what was your goal with these interventions well to to transcreate a place of transgression to to make visible a place that is ephemeral but also reflecting in places as you say uh, left on the city that uh, in a way is the result of a social behavior Let's say there is a norm, the heteronorm, and everything that what is outside need to find a place from the outside in the society. You know? Living in the outside gives you also the possibility to be free, to have a fry round. Uh, but how do you use this fry round? You know? uh, and then it's the city that allows you or it gives you a place uh, and it's also your intention of transgression that make of this place your place which is in the which is the cruising area no uh, i i also read in an article researching for cruising like 
maybe the violence, <laughs> talking about again about the violence, maybe the violence can uh, go in higher uh, if those places were not existing, like cruising areas, like uh, places for sex work and so on. Like this is also um, places what when a lot of energy is transforming in something different. As you ask me about healing and so on, like like those places are also kind of healing places. No healing is in different directions, but but there is like a kind of 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 heavy male energy that, uh, transform, uh, that has been transformed in those, those spaces. So it's interesting to, to see how transgression in public space is also a way of liberating this energy that we have. Yeah. So Cornelia, you, you made a, a big, big, big research of this uh, this psychiatric uh, institution park almost the grounds it's a big area and you mapped the usage of this area quite um, profoundly or precisely I would say <laughs> it's a wrong user word um, did you stumble upon surprising uses of these forests or these strange in-between places because it is quite an ambivalent space Partly open, partly fenced. Um, patients or clients, you could say, of the institution can meet with with the people that live uh, in the surrounding um, neighborhoods. So, what happens actually in these places? These sort of undefined, unprogrammed spaces. Well, <clears throat> define surprising. Is it surprising that? Uh, forest in the night might be used for certain more intimate practices not to me but perhaps to someone else what inspired me though is how a seemingly innocent activity such as playing volleyball uh, became a moment of contact and a point of building trust actually where members of staff played in mixed teams with clients and suddenly we are on the same side of the fence. How can we then talk to each other? What can we then do with each other? And what will that mean for tomorrow when each of us resumes our usual role in this uh, theater, so to say? The rock just moved. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I just want to share a little time out here, but I want to share something I've been observing in this uh, score that Eric asked us to to walk, to carry out in his body talk, is that depending on what the person at the mic is saying, it seems like we are moving in a different way around it. There have been kind of very dynamic moments and there have been more... Uh, silent moments right now everything is slowing down I think there's also a kind of tiredness <laughs> in the air um, but I would also I think it's nice to propose a amendment to the rule <laughs> which would be that if someone is at the mic at least one other person a little bit like in Tomas's 
work with the red communitaria trans red trans communitaria that there's always someone holding the space for the person speaking um nothing about you robert as a rock you're also holding the space but it's it's nice if someone is there also listening and um picking up what has been said so um i will leave the mic now again and uh, let let the sp let the floor be open but uh, if someone takes it then maybe someone else can uh, stand and and hold the space for the person speaking in the middle And maybe one just very trivial technical thing, <laughs> because yeah, we, we're in a very interesting space here, but it's very loud. So maybe talking to the mic from this direction, so we don't have all of this construction side noise in there. I I wanted to ask um, our. Uh, guided hands Sophie and Eric about the pluriverse um, and my first question would be like why is a pluriverse and why is not a multiverse yeah good question Thomas <laughs> it's interesting also that you ask it because actually the first mention ever of the word pluriverse was under the form multiverse <laughs> um, by, I forgot his first name, but his last name is James, early 20th century, uh, Western, so it was a Western uh, reference. And, uh, but it, it was the idea of a world not rounded in and closed, but strung along. So he was interested in like, um, systems theory and all those things and he was imagining a kind of world that kind of it gets knitted along you know so it wasn't his image was not of a one world with many worlds inside there which means that there's still one world that is uh, the dominant order or kind of holds everything together but his image was much more like a knitting where you have all these worlds just kind of being strung along and that keep engendering other worlds again so a kind of continuous uh, worlding um, for me personally, why pluri and not multi? I think that in plurality, in the plural self, for example, or first person plural, I think there is something, um, I find that a, mo a more, uh, I sense more openness in that than in, in multi, which makes me think of, you know, the multifunctional knife or multi... I don't know, there is something in multi that for me has a, a functional connotation. Um, but also very simply, pluriverse, because our whole search for manifestations of the pluriverse in these different parts of Europe derives from the book Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. So we also just took the word from him in that way. Yeah. Well, I think that the word multi also implies or associates with multiplying, which is like... Um, growing bigger from one source and I think the the word pluri suggests more like many different sources that can grow in many different directions like Sophie used the, the knitting metaphor which can even made more precisely as crochet but when you crochet you start at one point but you can crochet in all directions so you can choose every time you make a stitch in which direction you want to crochet further And um, 
for me the pluriverse um, materializes that idea that there are many worlds thriving and um, developing at the same time and sometimes they overlap and they open the doors towards each other sometimes they close the door because they cannot be together um, and that has to do with that sense of autonomy um, yeah but it's all vibrating all these worlds are vibrating and connecting together for me that's pluriversal um I have a similar question um, because I, since a couple of days I'm thinking about the search. Uh, the search. Of course, we are searching, um, researching sometimes. Researching, thinking about it, means to kind of search again or to search something, I guess. It's, it's somehow coming back. Uh, and now it's more the search. And I was wondering about that because I thought... Okay, on the one hand, it's something as it's a traveling uh, academy. It's something that brings you into the world, right? You search, you are on a move, you are on a quest in a way. On the other hand, uh, it's there, no? So maybe you can say something about the... Maybe pick up the word or... Um, that's where I started to wonder. Why search and why not finding? Or why... What is your movement of searching? Or is it one, or is it one that finds? I don't know. Well, by the, by the idea of search, we really wanted to um, state that we are also <laughs> um, students of the Traveling Academy. So we're searching as we speak. Um, and searching was also an, a, a choice of narrative because a search implies... It's also an invitation to join us in that search. But at the same time, we also know that the pluriverse is already here. I mean, we're living it. The only thing is that we need to sense it or to open up towards it and feel it and see it um, so searching is not the right word but i think it is an inviting word for a bigger audience to join us in looking for something that in fact is already there Well, everybody starts running, running, actually, because I think everybody's getting cold and wet and damp. Um, just a question to throw into the running group. Is it time to end this talk? Because everything needs to end at some point. <laughs> I'm looking at Sophie, who's avoiding my gaze. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah my last intervention like uh, about the fluidity uh, like uh, in the reader uh, we could read like uh, Berlin being a vibrant city uh, having liberties that n not other European cities had 
the golden twenties. Uh, um, but now is the question like uh, how how we can understand this fluidity as a fluidity now in relation with Berlin, uh, which we cannot believe is still the vibrant city it was uh, nowadays of gentrification, migration problems, uh, a pandemic and so on. Like, um, it's also not the, the place, the safe place it used to be. Also, if you are a if you are fluent in in your in your gender and your identities, so um, the question for everyone is like um, how to look at this fluidity here. Like we are also in a place of of changing, uh, of building, rebuilding, abandon. So uh, this fluidity is. It's also related with that. Yeah, it's just like a kind of uh, thing to to pop it up. Well, I think we live in a very um, exciting time because we're in this shift which can go many different directions. And as Sabine said, you know, in the city of Berlin, I'm, I mean, there's going to be a new government in uh, Germany. And there's a lot at stake at the moment and we don't know where it will go so in that sense fluidity can also be seen as insecurity and maybe it's just wishful thinking but for me Berlin still has that um, I don't know the, um, when I'm, whenever I'm here I feel that there I literally feel the shift from the linear and the binary that sort of male, female uh, straight and queer axis that that's slowly dissolving into a more fluid and spectral approach of identity and sexuality but maybe that's some that's a very personal um, feeling and then maybe it's a projection we talked about mirrors before maybe I'm it's my interpretation of of this city which is not my city that I live in I'm, I'm a visitor Um, yes, maybe also Sabine can say something because she's also living in Berlin and and I think our idea of this fluid city has been changed. So it would be nice to to listen to. Yeah, uh, it's good you it's good you brought this topic up. It's uh, I was since I read the introduction text, I had also this feeling of yeah, nice idea, but actually, you know, the struggles we are fighting with are really hardcore struggles. And maybe I, uh, I don't know about all of the struggles. So again, I take my perspective and I bring an example from yesterday that really shocked me. Um, yesterday evening when you left, um, there were a lot of interesting cross-talkings. Uh, I think local cross-talkings, so might have been difficult anyways uh, for an outsider. But for me, a short story that came up was uh, the... Neue Kreuzberger Kunstverein, which is an 
extremely institutional critic, long existing place, very interesting in terms of how they, how, you know, exhibitions take place and, and like immensely important place in the city. In Kreuzberg, on Oranienstraße, um, a bookshop, really important bookshop also inside. The house, they had been in struggle for the house for a long time, for a couple of years. And we always thought, we, the wider um, community thought, oh, this is the, you know, one important investor in Berlin and we're going to fight him and so on. It worked for a couple of years. Now they're moving out. They're moving next to Stadtwerkstatt um, into the former McDonald's place. Um, uh, yeah, so, and they're moving and the director or the Geschäftsführerin, the manager, because there's no director, the, the manager that manages all these things on a, on a pragmatic level, she told us the story that she was meeting a CDU member uh, to tell all the members of, of the uh, Berlin Parliament about the problem of being thrown out of that place because there is no other place to go, right? Um, uh, and the CDU member, the most conservative one, said, well, you know, girl, she's older than me, you know, girl, we are going to manage it. Just tell us who's the investor and we are going to talk to him. And she's like, they don't fucking understand the problem. There is no investor anymore to talk to. There is no one. The bookshop lost the... Tr and it's really one of the good book. Like, I went there so many times. I lived around the corner. It's like, it's you know, it's an intrinsic part of old Kreuzberg. They're, they tr went to trial only for the reason they knew they were going to lose it but only for the reason to find out the owner the investor there is no way anymore to find out the investor because the law has been changed so it's an anonym, anonymous frankfurt based it's some frankfurt based um how do you say them uh advocates that come and tell you what to do and that's how far you get you get to know the anwälte but you haven't they also through the trial they didn't even find out who owns the building That's the state where we are, and it's super frightening. And maybe it's fluid, but really not on the level that we want it to be fluid. Things are solidifying on another level that is really... Um, yeah, so that's the story that, uh, from that perspective, that I was shocked by yesterday again. That's the yes, other side of the medal. Yes, and this is not only a bookstore, this is like a gallery yeah. and a project space when you can like apply in order to have an exhibition. So it's, it's more, it's this, yeah, and that, that this is not only the, the, the only place, no, also for migrants, also for queer dissidents, places that has been closed, stopped, uh, which, which interrupt the fluidity of the city, no, in, in, in different ways. Uh, also, like through the pandemic, the sex works, uh, it was also like a kind of, at the beginning, debating it, it, it can be, it, it can continue or it cannot. And now there is like a kind of limbo where the sex workers are. So they, they don't know if they can work or not. And the police is going, it's, it's turning really grumpy. So, uh where uh, how is gonna be the the economical fluidity of those of those of, of those people that is also a question in in a city of of berlin which is poor no but uh, but with a high uh, amount of cultural offerings and so on but now the people doing this is being affected so uh, unexploded so how is gonna be 
class gonna continue that. Well, thank you for this reality check. Maybe I compare it also to Amsterdam, which is even worse because in Amsterdam, everything is being capitalized um, at the moment. So there are no free spaces almost anymore. Everything is drawn out of the city and everything is money and space is money and it goes to the highest bidder. So maybe it's also a question of um, context and... Um, On the one hand, yeah, I think there's just the scales. There's the whole city, but then there's also the people. And there's um, the city as a geographic space, but perhaps also the city as a cultural space, which exists in the minds of the people. It's perhaps a way of living together. And perhaps that will outlive the geographic space, as often is the fate of cultures. Or, yeah... That's my. That's what comes to my mind when I hear you too. Of course, I don't live in Berlin, so what would I know? I was rummaging, or I don't know how you say this in English. I was going around in my head that also, you know, Berlin had been a swamp. We are living on sand. To go back to the geographical foundations, I sometimes think that... Um, Let's leave, I mean, if I leave out the, the big side, Berlin has been always precarious, in a way, um, to the general public. And things have always kind of dissolved also. I ha that's my feeling. And also living here for some time um, and seeing how... Um, so things are hard. In a way, they are hard to solidify out of, I don't know why, but it always seems like... You know, you make a big effort, like house statistic, you make a big effort and it, and it could be destroyed after four or five years just because the government is changing and there's nothing, there's like no foundation in order to keep it on living autonomously. So it's, it's, it is in my, it's like living on sand, right? Things dissolve through the sand, the nutrition that is created on the top dissolves through and somehow there's always the danger here that things go away. It's not a ground that is fertile enough in order to keep it to keep growing and then you know it's in a good in a good sense what conserving could also be a conservative place that also builds up strength right here i have always the feeling the strength kind of um and since centuries it's a place where uh that also doesn't grow by itself that's my <laughs> interpretation but that it grows because of this movement of people being attracted to it and um And thanks God, that is still something that happens. <laughs> But I think that's our nutrition in a way. And that's the way how it's a lot of uh, energy and effort through the people. It's an ecology of people, I would say. Yeah. Well, and I, as I stand listening here to you, the, the construction sounds have stopped, right? Suddenly things are calming down. The light is going down. It's nearly four o'clock. The night is going to fall in. We're nearly not visible anymore except for our disco lights and maybe the fluidity that interests me just to, to close this talk is the, um, the way we've been trying to practice it in this weekend with one another in the very safe constellation of this group, which I'm aware of was a very safe one, uh, to uh, kind of practice presence with one another and uh, always kind of adapting to what needs to To happen and it, it, for me it's not for nothing that all our bodies have kind of come to a standstill <laughs> towards the end of this talk here uh, 
around uh, Robert are, are <laughs> very reliable talking stick and, uh, and rock here. So I want to thank Robert for holding the mic and holding the space for us. I also want to thank Benoit, who has not taken the mic, but who has been present by not speaking. He was our participant uh, observer. And I want to thank Tomas, Sabina, Cornelia, and my wonderful co-host Eric for uh, taking on <laughs> the challenge of this uh, scripted, non-scripted um, talk. Yeah. Um, Eric and I went to a, an amazing concert right before you all arrived by uh, Jeremy Wade, aka Puddles the Pelican. <laughs> and uh, one of his most beautiful songs that is, um, I can't sing it, but uh, sung to him by his sister Pelican was... Um, it's all going to be okay, even if it's not going to be okay. So I would like to end with and that. And it didn't end well. <laughs> Thank you. No! no. <laughs> Thank you so much. Are you, no. you must be cold. Uh, I'm fine. My uh, arm was in Search of the Pluriverse is part of the Travelling Academy, an initiative of Het Nieuwe Instituut in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany, Morocco, Spain and the UK. The Travelling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, sociopolitical and spatial issues. <laughs>